Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today's Monday, November 4th. What that means is that tomorrow, November 5th, is a big day for Strong Opinion Sports. I can't tell you yet what it is. Oh my gosh. I, uh, I'm so excited. This is the best I've felt in weeks. Uh, I have a huge week of content this week. I'm so excited. Uh, I just, man, uh, today's episode is really great. I'm really proud of it. We'll talk about the Ravens and the Patriots last night. We'll talk about Baker Mayfield. We'll talk about some college quarterbacks. Ask, uh, Ask Zach is fantastic. And I want to tease next uh, the rest of this week. Not next week, the rest of this week. The rest of this week, um, there's a lot going on. And I cannot wait for you guys to see and hear what's going on. Uh, I have a huge announcement tomorrow uh, that's going to be just uh, I, I, for, I'm personally very excited and very proud of what's happened. And uh, it's going to be cool. I'm, I'm really excited. Um, and then on Wednesday, there, there are three big things going on in Wednesday's episode. Number one, um, I'm finally going to tell the story of why I'm not currently playing college football. Um, I'm ready to talk about it. I'm ready to share um, I'm going to get it out of the way of some of the other stuff. I just don't want it to distract. I'll put it at the end of the week. Uh, I'm so excited. Uh, I'm also probably going to Cal Berkeley this weekend to broadcast Washington State versus Cal. I think I'm, I'm working on trying to figure out how to live stream that, the audio of that on Strong Opinion Sports. That'd be incredible. Uh, we have a sponsor for the show on Wednesday. I'm really excited. We have a back. By the way, we have a background. If you're listening on uh, on audio only feeds, I, I I recommend go give it a listen on or go watch it on YouTube just for a minute. Uh, I've got I've got a background behind me. I'm really excited, really proud of this. Um, I, it took a lot. I, I, you know, I'm recording it like at one o'clock uh, on the West Coast because it took me all morning to set this up. I'm embarrassed of how long it took me, but it took forever. Um, man. Uh, we have, uh, on Wednesday, we have a Jimmy Garoppolo film analysis. I'm really excited for it's basically done. I just can't access the, the footage from, I can't access the film from the 49ers Cardinals game until tomorrow. So, and I felt wrong to do a Jimmy Garoppolo film analysis topic without first, you know, um, it, without including that game. Cause that game was such a big deal for Jimmy G. I want to talk about that. I'm so excited. Uh, man, just a lot of stuff going on. You know, in hindsight, I'm looking at the monitor, and I should have probably worn a lighter colored shirt. I hope I, I hope that the, the the blue shirt I wear for recording stands off of the green. Uh, if it doesn't, man, or the the whatever was the color behind me, gray. Jeez, am I colorblind? That's definitely not green behind me. Uh, no, I, I probably should have worn the green shirt because this is well, problem for another day. We'll find out. Uh, I want to start today with this. Um. Uh, there was a big game last night on Sunday Night Football. The Baltimore Ravens beat the New England Patriots 37-20. to And I had two major takeaways from yesterday. Number one is that I love the way the Baltimore Ravens are using their quarterback, Lamar Jackson. It's phenomenal. The dude runs the ball a ton, and I will be the first one to say I've been very skeptical of this approach uh, for a long time. It's been very difficult for me to accept the way that the Ravens have built their offense around Lamar Jackson's ability to run the ball because we've never really seen an offense in the NFL do that and succeed long-term. Um, like we've just never seen that. We've seen the, the Wildcat offense, but that's not with a, with a guy who could throw. We've never seen 
an offense built around a quarterback running the ball be successful the way that the Ravens have been this year. It's phenomenal. You know, passing last night, Lamar Jackson was great. He was 17 for 23 at 163 yards, a touchdown. But running, he had 16 carries for 61 yards and two touchdowns. And as a team, the Ravens ran the ball for 210 yards, and they are dedicated to running the ball. And let's look at what he's done as a whole this year. Uh, He's been good passing, at least if you look at just his stats. He's got uh, 12 touchdowns passing, five interceptions, Lamar Jackson does. He's got just over 1,800 yards passing, a 64% completion percentage. All good, good stuff. But the key here is the yardage and success he's had running the ball. 637 yards rushing, five touchdowns. He's averaging 80 yards rushing a game. Well, it's you know 79.6. That's basically 80. Um, again, the Ravens, I just love the fact that they have committed to running the ball with Lamar Jackson. It's phenomenal. You know, last night they ran a formation where they had, they had Lamar Jackson in the backfield, three running backs along with Lamar Jackson. They had a tight end on the line of scrimmage and a wide receiver out wide. Like, <laughs> what? Four guys in the backfield, three running backs, a quarterback, a tight end, and one receiver. And they ran the ball really effectively. I was like, this is incredible. I, I just was so in awe. And as a football nerd, I was like, this is really cool. The schematics of the way that the Ravens are succeeding is just awesome. We've just never seen this before. The Ravens are leading the NFL in rushing. The, uh, by, it's by design. I don't remember how many yards they have. I didn't write it down. But it's by design. The Ravens are intentionally running the ball and running the ball really, really well. And the lesson in what Lamar Jackson is doing and the way that the Ravens have embraced Lamar Jackson's ability is if you're really great at something, like if you have a special talent, I hope you use it. A great example that comes to my mind, imagine, imagine a basketball player. In fact, imagine Steph Curry. Steph Curry is the greatest three-point shooter of all time, in my opinion. And imagine if he was on a basketball team where the coaches said, don't shoot three-pointers. Imagine if they like, didn't embrace the fact that he's really good at what he's doing. It would be ludicrous for a basketball coach in the NBA to say, hey, Steph, we don't want you shooting very many threes. You know, we're afraid of you. It's stupid because he's so good at it, it would be a waste. And I know it's not a direct correlation, but looking back in hindsight, it's like Lamar Jackson is such a talented runner of the football. To have a coach say, hey, we're going to limit Lamar running. We're not going to let him run. That's dumb. I just is. I just, you know, I would be sad watching the Ravens if he wasn't using his gift of running the ball. And actually, I don't even know if I would be because in an alternate universe where this didn't happen and they tried to shoehorn a different offense in and weren't using Lamar Jackson's full ability, I probably would be saying, oh, it's good because we've just, I've never seen a quarterback successfully have an offense built around their legs and their ability to run the ball. And I've never been so excited about a team embracing a player's skill set and then building around them, that's what the Ravens are doing, and it's awesome. You know what it makes me think of is, uh, you know, I, I grew up in an in, in inner city uh, of Portland. In my junior year of high school, we moved out of the suburbs into Vancouver, Washington, which is a, it's, it's a suburb. We lived in a mobile home, but we were in the suburbs, and man, it's a different demographic over there in the suburbs versus the inner city. And uh, everybody drove a truck. In fact, everybody does. I still live in Vancouver, Everybody drives a truck in it. It's like, it's insane how many more trucks you see in Vancouver than you do in Portland. It's like, wow, big difference. And for me, you know, one of the biggest, uh, (laughs) like one of the saddest things I see is when someone drives, 
this incredible pickup truck, a longer bed, ton of towing capacity. A truck is maybe lifted. They have this incredible beast of a truck. A Ford F-150 is, is a good example. I see, I see them everywhere. They have a great machine, and they don't tow anything with it. They don't, they don't tow a boat. They don't tow a trailer. If you drive a, a really big truck, and you just drive it to work and back, it's a waste. It's sad. Uh, what if you had a, a Ford F-350? It's a really big, massive truck. If you had a Ford F-350, and you just drove it to work and back as a commuter, instead of using it to haul stuff and what it's really intended for, that would be sad. It's a waste. I mean, I, I, I mean if, you, if you're that person, right? If you drive a giant truck and use it as a commuter, I mean, I feel bad for your gas mileage. Do whatever you want, though. Uh, but it's sad that the truck isn't being used to its full capacity. It would be sad if Lamar Jackson wasn't being used to his full capacity. Wasted potential sad. And I just, I want to get back. I just cannot say this enough. The Ravens have really smartly said, let's use Lamar Jackson's full capacity, full potential. Let's get everything out of him. A lot of designed runs. Here's the one thing. You know, I have been very hesitant to embrace Lamar Jackson's style of playing quarterback because all the hits he's taken are probably going to shorten his career. Like, let's be honest. If you get, Tom Brady never gets hit. Lamar Jackson's not going to play 20 years in the NFL getting hit as frequently as he does. But if you get a really great eight years of Lamar Jackson, isn't that better than 12 years of Lamar and not getting full Lamar, not getting the full potential out of him? If you try to make Lamar Jackson into a quarterback, he's not. Change his style. Make him... Not allow him to run. Limit his ability to run. Do whatever it is. Put handcuffs on Lamar Jackson and not let him be himself fully. That's sad. If he loses four years off of the end of his career, but we get a really incredible eight-year run with Lamar Jackson, that's worth it to me, and it's worth it for the Ravens. So, man, I just got to commend the Ravens. Uh, He's a special quarterback. I've never seen, like, to me, it's Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick are the two best quarterbacks running the ball I've ever seen. But what Michael Vick never had was an offense that designed their playbook around his ability to run. The Ravens have done that. That's so cool to me, uh, and I love it. It's fun to watch. It's been really successful. I love it, and uh, I'm happy for the Ravens. I'm, I love what they're doing. Now, uh, not only did the Ravens win, <laughs> Uh, the New England Patriots lost last night. The, the Ravens beat the Patriots 37-20. to 20. And, uh, you know, now the Patriots' undefeated season is ruined. I got so many messages last night. Oh, what a horrible loss. Wow, the Patriots, terrible what happened to them. They're awful. Did you see Tom Brady's terrible interception? And I... I understand the, the overreaction culture from everybody. Oh, the Patriots are terrible. They lost to Lamar Jackson. Yeah, da, da, da. A lot of noise. Um, and some people sending me messages last night were panicking. And then some people that pay attention to the things I've said for the last six months, and not just what I've said, if you've paid attention to the Patriots in the last 10 to 12 years, the Patriots aren't trying to go undefeated. That wasn't their goal. The Patriots have gone undefeated before. In 2007, they went 16-0, had a perfect regular season. And guess what? They got nothing to show for it. It was a waste. It didn't matter. They went 16-0, and they lost in the Super Bowl. 
Here's the, the crazy part. In 2007, they had, they had this perfect year. And in week 17, the last game of the year, the New England Patriots played the New York Giants. And they learned a lesson from this game. They were 15-0 at the time. They'd already clinched their playoff spot. The last game was meaningless other than, hey, we're 15-0. If we rest our starters, we might not win and we might not get a perfect season. They could have rested their starters. A perfect season is really meaningless. It doesn't get you anything other than, oh, that's really cool. It's good for, it makes you feel good. It's good for your ego. Well, the Patriots in week 17 barely beat the Giants. They didn't rest their starters. They played Tom Brady. They played everybody. They won by a score of 38 to 35, week 16 in 2007. And because the Patriots fought so hard to win, they put a lot on film for the Giants to study and learn from. So a month later, and I really believe that game, the Giants almost beating the Patriots gave them hope. They fought really hard all the way through the playoffs. They got to the Super Bowl. I think they were a wildcard team that fought their way into the Super Bowl. It's incredible what happened. And a month later, the Patriots rematched the Giants in the Super Bowl. (laughs) This time, the Giants had a better plan. And they used what they learned from that Week 17 game. The Giants beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. The Patriots played the team twice that year. They played the Giants twice that year. And they lost the game that mattered. And since then, they have completely changed their approach. If the Patriots play a team twice in one season, once in the regular season and once in the postseason, teams in their division don't count. I'm not talking about that. The Patriots would rather win a game in the postseason. They don't care about that regular season game. I'm not saying the Patriots didn't try to win last night. I'm not saying none of that, right? Tom Brady wanted to win. The Patriots wanted to win last night. Brady had an ugly interception. I'm sure that will haunt him and bother him for a long time. But... However, something happened last night. You might have missed it. It was very important. The Ravens gave that game everything they could. The Ravens went all out last night against the Patriots. Weird formations, creative running schemes, really good play design. <laughs> there were moments where the Patriots linebackers like, were looking at each other. How do we stop this? I have no idea. <laughs> you're, there's like four guys in the backfield. There's a tight end. There's one receiver. What's going on? They had no idea what to do. <laughs> guys looked lost. But Bill Belichick was over there with Bill Belichick, the head coach of the Patriots, quietly sitting there taking notes. Oh, oh, oh. You're getting game film. Oh, I guarantee next time they have that matchup, the Patriots are going to learn from what happened last night. There are three games on the Patriots schedule like this. They play the Baltimore Ravens, the Houston Texans, and the Kansas City Chiefs, three teams that I believe could make the playoffs in the AFC. Three teams the Patriots might play twice. I think it's very likely. In fact, that's, I'm not, it's not very likely. It's true. The Patriots use the first game they play a team as a learning experience to do better the next time in the playoffs. The Texans, the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Patriots just want to get stuff on film. They hope that the Chiefs send it everything they have. They hope that the Texans go all out so they can get their film They can get their schematics on film, study, prepare for them, do better next time. In 2011, the Patriots played the Broncos twice. 
once in the regular season, once in the in the uh, playoffs. The first time they played them, they beat them eight by 18 points. Then in the playoffs, the Patriots beat them by 35 points. They learned from the past. They got better. In 2014, on the way to the Super Bowl, the, Col- the Patriots played the Colts two times, once in the regular season, once in the postseason. The first time, the Patriots beat the Colts by 22. In the second game in the playoffs, they won by 38. They learned from the past. And in 2016, on the way to another Super Bowl, the New England Patriots played the Steelers twice. In the regular season, they beat them by 11. And in the postseason, they beat them by 19. They got better. They extended the the margin every single time. When the Patriots play a team the second time around, they do better. Prepare for that in the playoffs. When you see the Patriots possibly matched up against the Ravens, understand it'll be a better game. The Patriots will be more prepared. They will know how to stop Lamar Jackson in that running game. The Patriots would rather win the matchup in the postseason when it matters more. (sighs) Got my special drink. I love it. My mouth... Dude, I am so, I teeter on dehydrated and then having to pee all the time. I can never find the balance where I'm just hydrated and feel normal. It's like the worst. Right now, I'm really dehydrated. I can feel it. It feels terrible. It doesn't help that I talk really fast and loud and whatever. Uh, Got this special drink. I'm really excited. I'm sorry if I slurped that way too loud. Um, They're not a sponsor yet. I so badly want them to be. I'll tell you what my special drink is. It's a cooled beverage. Uh, yeah, that's all I'll say. I want to talk about something that happened last week. Um, last week, Baker Mayfield walked away from an interview mid interview, just walked away. And I know it's an older story. You know, it's, uh, you know, this is last week's news. I get it. I understand. But, uh, I haven't talked about it yet. And I, I have something to add to the conversation. Uh, I believe that when everybody talked about this story, Everybody's, everybody's bias has showed quite a bit. And it seems to me like everybody in the media left out some really important context to this story that you have to understand to realize, why did Baker walk away? What's the story behind the story? In fact, I think a, a couple important details, a couple angles, a couple really uh, important viewpoints were just completely left out of the story. No one discussed it. And so in case you missed it, here's a soundbite of Baker where he gets up and leaves an interview early. Take a listen. Penalties, so we were negative yardage. Uh, well, when the penalty happened, then we're behind the chains. No, 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 stop saying but. I just told you the clock was running and we had a penalty. Do you want to give them the ball back? No, you don't play. You don't know it. That's just plain and simple. Was I happy with the drive? No, we didn't score points. It's the dumbest question you could ask. What? Jesus, Tony. Okay, so everybody who heard what happened immediately jumped to criticism of Baker Mayfield. Then I get it. I understand why. But to me, I'm a bit torn on how to feel about this. I try to be fair and unbiased when it comes to Baker. You know, I think the best example of this is that sometimes he says and does stuff that I think is dumb, and I call him out on it. I say, hey, that's dumb. I don't agree with that at all. And then other times, Baker does stuff and says stuff that I agree with, and I defend him. I treat Baker on a case-by-case basis. I think that's the best example. I, I don't have an agenda. I call it like I see it. Sometimes I think he's in the right. Sometimes I think he's in the wrong. Now, in this one, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm somewhere in the middle. But most people in the media 
were not. <laughs> Listen to the language, the headlines people wrote. Things like, Baker storms out of a press conference. Baker throws a temper tantrum and leaves interview early. That's not unbiased language at all. And here's what happened. Two big things happened in this moment. Uh, it was after the Browns and Patriots game. And a reporter was asking about a drive where the Browns failed to score against the Patriots. And the reporter kept jabbing and poking and cutting Baker off. He just kept, kept you know, right at it, kind of pushing his buttons. And then the reporter asks, were you happy with the drive, the drive they didn't score? Here's the number one thing that happened. You know, were you happy with the drive? Baker said, no, of course not. We didn't score points. And he goes, Jesus, Tony, and he leaves. He walks away. And for context, the reporter asking Baker questions is a guy named Tony Grossi. And Tony Grossi has a long history of saying pretty crappy stuff about Baker Mayfield. Here's just a couple of things. Number one is that around the time of the 2018 NFL draft, which Baker was drafted in, and Baker, by the way, was the number one overall pick. <laughs> Grossi ranked the quarterbacks in the draft class like this. He said, number one, Sam Darnold. Number two, Josh Rosen. Number three, Josh Allen. And finally, number four, anybody else. Didn't even mention Baker. And I get it. That's okay. You're bothered by that. That's petty. That's one thing. But then he kept comparing Baker Mayfield to Johnny Manziel. And Baker's not perfect. Baker, however, does not have substance issues. Comparing Baker to Johnny, comparing anybody to Johnny Manziel is incredibly disrespectful. You know, I, I know people who work with Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M. Oh my gosh. Uh, the, horror, the, the, the stories I've heard are horrifying. Talk about substance abuse. The guy was a, a, a nightmare train wreck. Comparing anybody to Johnny Manziel is a really incredible ultimate insult. Tony Grossi also called Baker spoiled for wanting first-class airfare and accommodations on his pre-draft visits. Uh, you know, later the guy compared, uh, later that guy Tony Grossi compared Kyler Murray also to Johnny Menzel. Baker didn't like that. Baker defended Kyler Murray. Tony Grossi is a troll. He's really good at writing headlines and clickbaity material. I think reporters like Tony Grossi are kind of like weasels. They're, they're, they're guys I don't like. And I, if I was a, a football player, oh my gosh, I would hate talking to them. Grossi's been confrontational with Baker now for years. <laughs> years. You know what a cattle prod is? A cattle prod is like an electric shock device you use. You poke cows to make them walk away and move. Well, if you hold a cattle prod and you poke a bull, and then the bull kicks you and you go, oh! Why would it kick me? You're an idiot. You poked a bull. You, you, you can't ca poke a bull with a cattle prod and then get mad at you when the bull kicks you, when the bull reacts. No, Tony Grossi knew exactly what he was doing. I don't feel good about Baker Mayfield. He got obviously frustrated. He left an interview. I worry when I see that. I question that. When I see that, I, I go, does Baker have the emotional maturity to handle a chaotic, stressful situation? And his inability to stay calm in that moment concerns me. Absolutely. I don't feel good about Baker Mayfield leaving that interview early. Especially when you consider that Sam Darnold has been pelted with all kinds of horrible questions all season. You know, first, Sam Darnold has dealt with the New York media with questions about mono, 
a kissing disease, a kissing, what, what do you call it? Like a, a thing you get in middle school when you kiss somebody. <laughs> he dealt with mono questions, and then he dealt with questions because he said he was seeing ghosts. The questions Sam Darnold has dealt with this year, oh my gosh, horrifying. But Sam Darnold has kept his cool, been very calm, never stormed out, never got mad. Well, he could have been mad, but he hit it well, right? Baker lost his cool. Baker, in that moment, it, he boiled over. He was intense. He was confrontational. It didn't work for him. And I, I honestly think Baker, if he was listening to this right now, if you are listening, hey, hello, big fan, uh, I, I think Baker would be frustrated. He said, I'm not Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's a different person than me. But if you want to criticize Baker for losing his cool, go ahead. I, I totally understand it. But I would also ask... How would you handle that situation? You know, there have been moments in my life, uh, moments with professors, moments with coaches, where someone repeatedly says crappy things to me a lot, and over time it builds up. And eventually I'm like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I walk away because no way am I going to put up with months of someone saying crappy stuff to me. I'm like, eventually you're like, dude, I'm just not, I'm above this. I'm not dealing with this. I'm leaving and walking away. So Baker was in a really bad moment in his life. He just got embarrassed by the New England Patriots, the best defense in the NFL, arguably them or the 49ers. Not probably the 49ers. The 49ers have played tougher opponents. But Baker was just embarrassed on national TV against the New England Patriots. And then the troll guy shows up. The guy who said awful things about you for years. And man, I would like to think I would handle that well. I do. I hope I would keep my cool. But I'm human. <laughs> I might have gotten flustered and frustrated and just decided to walk away too. I might have. And I'll be honest, you might have. That, that just, when you're in that situation, that happens sometimes. And there's another part of this entire thing, though, that I think is really important to talk about. Baker said another thing. This is number two. Baker said something when he left that, Journalists and reporters really, 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 really hate. I've worked for ESPN, for Fox Sports. Look, I've worked with these guys. Uh, reporters hate this question, Baker. Uh, this this phrase. Baker said, you didn't play, you don't know. You don't play, you don't know. Insinuating that Tony Grossi never played in the NFL, so how could he possibly understand the NFL? How could he understand? How would his questions be worth it? Reporters hate that. It's like the worst insult you can give them. It's kind of like comparing somebody to Johnny Manziel, actually. <laughs> and uh, reporters and journalists see that. You know, if you didn't play, you don't understand. Reporters and journalists see that as an attack on their livelihood because it is. Not to some degree. I, I personally don't think it is, but I understand why some journalists look at that as a, as a direct attack. Because some journalists think, you know, if I didn't play in the NFL... Am I not supposed to write? And then they're like, am I not supposed to do my job? Are you saying I shouldn't do my job? It's a, it's a suggestion that they're, they're not allowed to write about football because they didn't play in the NFL. And uh, I, I actually agree with Baker. <laughs> you know, uh, If you didn't play, you don't understand certain things. I'm not saying you can't do your job. Uh, a lot of people in the media, though, are idiots. And they don't know what they're talking about. And they have inflammatory content. And they're weasels. And they, say, they do say and talk about terrible stuff. But there's a difference between a storyteller and an analyst. It's a different job. It's a different approach. And you're a different person, depending on which hat you wear. 
You can write about sports. You can be a sports storyteller without playing sports. You can recap what happened. You can tell stories. You can be a journalist and write about sports without ever playing in the NFL. Absolutely. But a storyteller and an analyst are different jobs. I personally try to do both. I think I'm a good analyst in football. Um, I know my lane. I know that I'm not a basketball analyst. You'll never see a basketball film analysis video by me because, I look, I didn't play high-level basketball. I'm out of my league there. But I do do quarterback analysis videos. I'm very proud of them. My work speaks for itself. Um, I played quarterback in college. And I'm pretty confident and secure in my work. Go watch it if you want. There's a whole playlist. Go to quarterbackanalyst.com. You'll find my work. Um, I know my role, right? And, I, and I'm confident in that. Tony Grossi, the reporter, talking to Baker, is not an analyst. He's a storyteller. And I think he's the worst kind of storyteller. He's a troll. He's a guy who creates these crazy headlines and clickbaity content. And look, I get it. I've done it too. You know, two years ago when I first started Strong Opinion Sports, I had a very different approach. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and I was just trying to be like everybody else. And I've changed my If you look at the last six months, the trajectory of my show, the content has changed. I try to be more reasonable. I try to be fair. I'm the fair guy on the internet because I guess that's my role here is to be the reasonable person in the room. My brand is honesty. And when I say something today, if I say something outlandish or something you think is crazy, it, you know, it has more weight though because you know I believe it. I'm not just saying it to get clicks or like some people in the media, man, they say stuff and you go, there's no way you believe this. You're just trying to get, make people angry. And so everything I just explained, the difference between a storyteller who tells stories about sports and an analyst who analyzes sports, storyteller and analyst, they're different jobs. And I've never heard anybody say that before, and I don't think anybody in the media understands that. When someone criticizes a reporter saying, you didn't play, you don't know. What they're saying is you don't have a depth of a useful analysis because you didn't play the sport. Baker isn't saying Tony Grossi can't do his job and write about sports. He's saying there's a level of analysis you don't understand. So when someone yells at me and says, you didn't play in the NBA, why can you talk about the NBA? I can talk about the NBA. Don't ask me to break down LeBron James' jump shot the same way I could if I could. I can talk about LeBron James' accomplishments and have fun and all kinds of stuff, right? And I think that's partly why the media was so hard on Baker. This whole thing here is the media felt threatened by what he said. He said, you don't play, you don't know. People in the media that can't realize they're a storyteller versus analyst, they can't, do, they can't do all that work to understand all that, they felt threatened and attacked. So, of course, everyone in the media responded, oh, he's an immature dummy, ah, la, 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 tantrum, he storms out. They used inflammatory words to frame it worse. It's all about framing. You know, the media could have easily said Baker Mayfield walks out of an interview. I feel like I'm going on a long time about this. So, you know, Baker walked out of an interview. And what concerns me here is his inability to stay calm. But I also think that here's one of my final points is Baker leaving that room, I think, was smart. What if Baker stays? You know, what's worse in this situation? Baker leaves an interview early. He's visibly frustrated. Or what if Baker yelled at a reporter the way Ryan Leaf did years ago? Or what if it got even worse? He gets riled up and he punches Tony Grossi. 
You know, Baker removed himself from that situation before something bad happened. And honestly, I think that deserves a little bit of credit, the self-awareness to go, to recognize, hey, I'd better step away from this. This is just not a good situation for me to be in. And no one gives him credit for that. Nobody gives Baker credit for walking away, which I think sometimes that's the mature thing to do is say, you know what? There's nothing good for me to do in this situation. It's best for me to just step away from for right now. So after he walked out, he put on Twitter. This is what he said. This is it, word for word what Baker said on Twitter after walking out of the interview. He said, everybody wants to hear the truth until they actually get it. I am who I am and always have been. Don't call it emotional when it's convenient and then passion when it fits. I care about winning. So yeah, I'm frustrated. If I was to act like it's okay to lose, then y'all would say I've gotten complacent. My sense of urgency is at an all-time high, and if I offend anyone along the way, that's too bad. I love that. I think that's phenomenal. I really love that quote. You know what I like to hear? And what I hear in that quote is a guy who wants to win. A guy who in the interview, I think, I think that in that interview, Baker felt offended when Tony Grossi said, were you happy with the drive? Were you happy with failure? It's a personal challenge to Baker. I don't think Baker liked having his character questioned. Are you happy with failure? Of course not. Of course I'm not happy with the drive. Of course when I make a video and it's bad and no one watches, I don't feel good about that. Or when I make a mistake, I don't feel good about that. Of course Baker didn't feel good about a drive where they failed. He had a reporter in a bad moment who's been egging him on for years saying awful stuff, poking and bothering and bugging him. So uh, that's the whole story. Screw the media. That's the part they didn't tell you. That's all the angles. Baker left the interview early. I'll leave it up to you. How do you think you would handle a horrible troll reporter who's been bothering you for years asking you questions in a really hard moment in your life? Look, I, I hope I would handle that moment with grace and be calm. But I'm telling you, there are moments in my life where I've just said, hey, I need to walk away because some people, and it adds up over time. You're like, I, I need to just get out of this situation. It's not good for me. So I'll leave it up to you. You decide. How do you feel about that? Okay, uh, before we go to break, I just encourage everybody, if you're struggling, please go get help. Three years ago, my younger brother took his life. It was heartbreaking. It's the worst thing I've ever been through. And uh, I learned two painful lessons through that experience. Number one is my brother never shared his struggles. He never told anybody he was having a hard time. He suffered in silence. And one day I walked into my, walked into my brother's room and found him dead on the floor. I had no idea it was coming. Uh, he never told me he was struggling. And that's really sad to me. So the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. Um, man, if you're struggling, go get help and go seek professional help. Number two, though, you know, Make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. This is the other sad lesson from my brother's death is that I didn't do a good enough job making it clear to my brother, hey, I'm here for you. I love you. If you're having a hard time, I'm there for you. And you can always talk to me. Don't be afraid to have hard conversations. Um, you know, I love video games and movies and sports. But if all your conversations are only about those three things, I challenge you to step it up. Ask your friends, how are you doing? How's life? 
How's that breakup? How's this? How's that? Go, go deeper than just that. Anyone hear the siren in the background? Dude, I'm telling you where I live now, there's sirens all the time. All the con- there, there's construction, there's sirens. Oh my gosh. Uh, but again, I just encourage you, if you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, I want to read something if I can find it. It's from a guy named, I'm not going to say his, yeah, I'll say it. It's from Devin. You don't know, you didn't know Devin's last name, so it doesn't matter. Uh, I just wanted to read something from Devin. Devin wrote a really heartfelt message that I thought was really cool. Um, and I almost read it on Ask Zach, but I was like, yeah, this fits better here. Um, if I can find it, where is it? Oh, no. I didn't copy paste it. Wait, no, this is a. Oh, you, here's the problem. Okay, so I'm, I use Google Drive for my Ask Zach questions. There we go. Now it's loading. Okay. This is from Devin. Devin wrote in and said, Hey, Zach, it's Devin with an A again. I, can even, I cannot describe how elated I was to make it into Ask Zach. I was so giddy with excitement that I told my friends. And the truth is, I've been really going through a hard time in my life. It's turbulent with many ups and downs. During a rough day, just hearing how happy you got about my message really brightened my day. This leads me to this topic. Please get help. This segment means the world to me. And it's part of the reason I have come to respect you so much. Mental health is, very, is a very important topic. It is heavily glossed over by many people with a platform to discuss it. I, too, have lost close friends and a loved one to suicide. Your 100,000 subscriber show really touched my heart. I cried alongside with you. You encouraged me to address my mental health issues and consult a professional. I'm 22 years old and taking the steps needed to keep, my mental, keep me mentally healthy. All because of you. I wanted to let you know that you've made a big difference in my life of a random person you've never met. I'm now a better father, family member, making sure I reach out to my family. It makes me so happy to see you succeed, and I genuinely cannot wait for you to crush your milestone after milestone. Keep chasing your dreams and changing lives. Zach, I'll support you every step of the way, all the way to Louisiana. It's a 22-year-old guy who listened to that segment, and... uh I just, I didn't want to, I, I didn't put, I, I just thought I would read that. Um, I felt when I read that, it felt like a brag. It wasn't my goal. Um, I wanted to share the story of a guy who listened. And I just encourage you, if you're struggling, go get help. Talk to your friends. Uh, reach out to your people in your life. Be like Devin, you know, make a change. Don't be afraid to make a change. Don't be afraid to go get help. Go seek professional help. Talk to your friends. Uh, this, this message is one of the most meaningful messages I've ever got on Patreon because it's about way more than sports. And that's what this topic, if you're struggling, go get help is about is taking a moment to recognize, Hey, there's more than sports. The people in your life matter and you matter. And so if you're struggling, go get help and then make sure the people in your life know how much they're loved and that you care about them. All right. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about urban Meyer. We'll talk about Joe Burrow. We'll talk about Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason, We'll do uh, two topics about quarterbacks that are, these are the, the key words in the, the, that, those two topics at the end. We'll talk about uh, Tom Brady, retirement, free agency, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold. It'll be fun. My name is Zach Schaumler. Good stuff ahead. My name is Zach. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I was watching the USC Oregon game this weekend. Uh, by the way, Oregon beat USC 20, uh, 56 to 24. 
But watching this game, the most hilarious sequence of events took place. I thought it was really, really funny. Uh, right before halftime, literally with 17 seconds left before halftime, USC, USC scored a touchdown. They made it 21-17. to 17. That put USC down only four points. USC is getting closer to Oregon. Oregon still led, but they're like, oh, we're making progress. USC had a lot of momentum. And then USC made a fatal decision, a, a coaching error, and a, a just really mismanagement of the situation. USC decided to kick the ball deep to Oregon. Oregon caught the, uh, the kickoff, ran it back for a touchdown. And in that situation with like 10 seconds left in the half, squib kick it. Don't allow Oregon to get a real good return, and they would have been fine. And Oregon, instead of going into half up 21-17, USC went into halftime down 17-28. to Like, oh, what a big swing. Adding seven more points to the deficit, they went on to just beat the crap out of USC. And it was so funny because right after watching this coaching mistake where USC did the wrong thing, they should have squib kicked it, not allowed Oregon to return it. Not a minute later, halftime starts, the feed of the television goes back to the studio where the analysts are going to talk about the game. And then right on set, you have Urban Meyer, the former coach of Ohio State, talking about what just happened, analyzing for Fox Sports during the halftime show. And it was hilarious to me because you know, there were these big rumors and echoes behind the scenes that Urban Meyer is possibly the next head coach at USC. And so this whole sequence where you have a really bad coaching mistake by USC, making them give up seven points, looking stupid, then suddenly you're in the studio with Urban Meyer talking about that situation. It's like, this whole thing just feels like an Urban Meyer commercial. It couldn't have been better for USC fans watching going, I just want that guy on television instead of that guy on television. Give me Urban Meyer as our head coach. And so if you're unfamiliar with Urban Meyer, he's just an elite college football head coach. He's won three national championships, two at Florida, one at Ohio State. And, uh, you know, I think the reason that the reason I believe Urban Meyer should be hired by USC to be the next head coach is because he's an obvious upgrade. Urban Meyer is an obvious upgrade at coach for USC. Uh, I use a, a $600 computer, a Mac Mini. Got it years ago. Uh, I worked at a car wash, shaved up a bunch of money, and bought a Mac Mini. That's what I used to make the show and record everything and edit and all this stuff. And uh, it gets the job done. It's a solid computer. Uh, it's very limited. It's very slow. It processes things really slow. But it's good enough. But if someone offered me an opportunity to have a $5,000 iMac Pro, like my dream computer, in a heartbeat, I would take it. I'd be stupid not to. I'd be stupid not to take the upgrade. Currently, I don't have the money to buy that. It's not going to happen for me. But if I had the opportunity to upgrade, it's an easy decision. Yeah, make your life better. Make everything better. Go from good enough to elite. <laughs> you want the better product. It's a giant upgrade. Do you understand how upgrades work? Urban Meyer is an upgrade to an elite level head coach for USC. He would make USC way, way better. USC's current head coach is not awful. He's won a Rose Bowl before, uh, well, once, but he's been okay. He hasn't been miserable. He's got a winning record. You know, the truth is, though, that situationally, Clay Helton, the head coach for USC, has a lot of issues. 
he's not killing it in recruiting either. University of Southern California, USC, used to be the place to go if you lived in Southern California and you were a football player. Right now, University of Oregon is out recruiting Southern California in their own region. USC is not winning recruiting in their own region. That is sad. That's disappointing. That's horrible. The way the U of Miami became incredible is they dominated recruiting in Miami. The way USC used to be great under Pete Carroll is they dominated recruiting in Southern California. Man, Clay Helton is fine. My computer, this Mac Mini, is fine. But man, I would love to have an upgrade. And I know USC fans would love to have an upgrade of their head coach. Clay Helton has been the head coach of USC uh, for roughly the last five years. Since 2015, he took over midseason for, I think, Steve Sarkeesian. I don't crucify me if I get the name. I can't. I believe it was Steve Sarkeesian. I, I get him mixed up with Lane Kiven because I know Lane Kiven also left early. Then Ed Orgeron was in there somewhere. It's just a mess. But um, <laughs> Clay Hilton is 37-21 and 21 as a head coach. It's a winning record. It's not bad. He's won 63% of his games. It's fine. Won a Rose Bowl once. But comparing Clay Hilton to Urban Meyer, there's no comparison. It's completely unfair. Urban Meyer is 187-32. and 32. 187 wins, 32 losses. He wins 85% of his games. He's been a head coach for 17 seasons. He's won three national championships at two different schools. Right now, he's kind of in limbo. He's working as an analyst for Fox Sports, kind of waiting for the next big job opening to come up. Uh, A lot of people in Notre Dame, I guess, really wants him. Um, But Urban Meyer, in 17 years as a head coach, has never once, never one time, had a losing record. Urban Meyer's never lost. <laughs> or excuse me. Urban Meyer's never won less than eight games. His worst two seasons as a head coach. Urban Meyer's first year ever as a head coach. He was coaching at Bowling Green. He went eight and three. Oh man, what a rough time. You only won eight games your first time. And then the other really bad year for Urban Meyer is he went eight and five at Ohio, uh, excuse me, at Florida, his last year at Florida. Two years, his worst two seasons, he still won eight games. A lot of programs would love to win eight games. <laughs> you know, right now, uh, what's the school? Oh, man, UCLA would love to win eight games and win a bowl game, go to a bowl game. Clay Helton's worst year in the only five years? He's had one year, he went five and seven. Clay Helton, you can make a lot of arguments in favor of him. You can say, well, there's this and that and... You know, they've been injured this year. A lot of guys, especially this year, USC's been really injured. They had a a freshman quarterback last year. That was the excuse last year. This year, you can say, well, that freshman quarterback tore his ACL, so he lost your starting quarterback. A lot of other injuries, too. A lot of injuries at running back. But, man, excuses aside, Urban Meyer appears to want to be the head coach at USC. He's liked tweets on Twitter before where people linked him to the USC job. And I want to be very, very clear. If USC can get Urban Meyer to be their head coach, they should absolutely make it happen. It would be, oh my gosh, USC would be so lucky to have him. USC needs Urban Meyer far more 
than Urban Meyer needs USC. They just Urban Meyer doesn't need that. There's a lot of elite college football jobs. He can go coach at Notre Dame if USC doesn't want him. He can go do, there's a lot of stuff Urban Meyer can do. There's a lot of places Urban Meyer could coach. If Urban Meyer wants to be a head coach in college football, he could do that at a lot of places. There's not a lot of Urban Meyers walking around the country. There's, there's just not. USC needs Urban Meyer more than Urban Meyer needs USC. And if they can make it happen, they absolutely should. Absolutely. USC should hire Urban Meyer as our head coach if they can possibly make it happen. Okay, there are uh, there are three quarterbacks I want to discuss as NFL prospects. So these are three quarterbacks, Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason, and Joe Burrow. And we're going to talk about them from an NFL perspective. How are these three quarterbacks developing as NFL prospects? And obviously there are a lot more quarterback prospects in college football, guys. I'm not going to talk about Justin Herbert or Tua. Today, the focus is on Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason, and Joe Burrow. So Jake Fromm first, the quarterback at Georgia. Uh, I, I love Jake Fromm's leadership. I, I'm really a fan of the guy, the way he carries himself. His teammates love him. His coaches respect him and believe in him. And his leadership is why it wouldn't shock me if he went to the NFL and found success a similar way to the way Gardner Minshew or Dak Prescott have done it. You know, Dak Prescott and Gardner Minshew seemingly came out of nowhere. They were later round draft picks. And Jake Fromm immediately was successful. I think Jake Fromm, excuse me, I think Jake Fromm could do something like that the same way Gardner Minshew or Dak Prescott did. He's won a lot of games. Jake Fromm has. He's played well in some big moments. But the truth is that right now, Jake Fromm is not a first-round pick. He's not. His arm isn't that impressive. He throws kind of a weaker spiral. It's not very tight. The ball tends to die a little bit as it travels. He also often has a ton of time to throw in the pocket. I mean, the dude sits back there. For, watch the Florida-Georgia game. Jake Fromm had time for days. He likely will not have that in the NFL. The one thing we haven't seen from Jake Fromm uh, enough, in my opinion, is in the NFL, Jake Fromm is going to have to move around and slide in the pocket way more than he's had to do at Georgia. He just, he's just got so much time there in the pocket with Georgia. He's also usually playing with a really good running game and superior athletes. He's got a, a better team usually than a lot of teams in college football. So he's a junior at Georgia, Jake Fromm is. And uh, I, I believe he should stay for a senior year in college football. I don't think he should leave. Um, I think he would anyways. You know, Jake Fromm is the ultimate company man. He puts his program first. But I really think Jake Fromm, as a junior, should stay in college for one more year, try to get better. Uh, now the question is, um, you know, Stan could really help him. Occasionally he makes really bad decisions. There's a play where uh, against Florida, Georgia ran two seam routes up the middle, and Jake Fromm didn't look off the safety. The safety just moved right where the ball was. And Jake Fromm really should have gone to the other side where the receiver was wide open, tight end was wide open. He had a touchdown. He didn't do it. And so the question is, if Jake Fromm comes back for senior year, could he take a big step forward and get dramatically better in that time? And I doubt it. I, I don't think I don't see that happening for Jake Fromm. Um, unless Georgia gets some kind of new creative assistant coach, I don't think Jake Fromm is going to take a big step forward. I think he can come back to Georgia 
I just don't think Jake Fromm is going to get dramatically better between his junior and senior year. Um, and I think Jake Fromm is not not a first-round quarterback, and I don't know that he's going to become one. Hope so, but something's going to have to change coaching-wise for Georgia in order for Jake Fromm to do that. And I'm not a hater. I love Jake Fromm. I just, I don't, what I've seen from an NFL perspective is a guy who plays with really vastly superior players, has a ton of time to throw in the pocket, has a weaker arm, not a very tight spiral, the ball kind of dies. Jake Fromm right now is not at all a first-round quarterback. And unless he makes great strides and changes and evolves, which he could, he's not going to be. And that's why I want to talk about Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow this year has taken a massive step forward. You know, Joe Burrow went from a guy who was probably like a fourth or fifth round pick going into the year. And because of his play and how much better he's gotten, he's elevated himself to maybe being even the best quarterback in the entire NFL draft. Literally, it's, it's that big of a difference. Uh, I think a big reason for this is because LSU got an incredible hire. They hired Joe Brady from the Saints as the passing game coordinator of their offense. Joe Brady has had a huge impact on Joe Burrow. But it's not just the coach. This is why I love Joe Burrow and I'm so excited about him is, yeah, Joe Burrow got a much better coach helping him. But he did a ton of work by himself. Like, I I, I call this boiler room work. So when I was in college, I would go to a boiler room by myself where it was loud. I could just yell the playbook and go through all the playbook by myself. Joe Burrow does a lot of boiler room work on his own where he's more accurate thanks to better footwork this year. He has mastered... LSU's offense. He's extremely prepared. He always knows exactly where to go with the ball. Joe Burrow's improved his mechanics. has made his arm stronger this year. He uses his core better. He's got better separation with the ball. And you don't need to... I, I, don't, I haven't seen any of that stuff. You know, in the offseason, I never saw Joe Burrow tweeting about what he's doing. I haven't heard any stories or pieces written about the work Joe Burrow did. I see it on game day. I see always... His mechanics are better. His footwork's better. His... Understanding the offense is better. He just got better on his own. And that's so cool to me that Joe Burrow elevated himself to maybe being in the conversation as the best quarterback in the NFL draft next year. Tua, Justin Herbert, maybe Joe Burrow. And maybe Joe Burrow is the top of that list. You know, if nothing else, Joe Burrow has gotten himself into that conversation. And that's really, really cool. His timing, his accuracy. I love Joe Burrow. I'm a big fan. Um, and he's really, really impressed me with the work ethic he brought. And not only how much better he's gotten, but how good he is now. He's like, oh, wow. Joe Burrow is a really good quarterback. And now the last guy I want to talk about is University of Washington quarterback Jacob Eason. Actually, a, a funny, a former Georgia quarterback who got beat out by Jake Fromm. And the reason for that, in my opinion, is because Jake Fromm makes better decisions than Jacob Eason. And they won. I mean, you know, the situation took hold and Georgia was winning. Sure, whatever. Um, but I'm, I'm not impressed with Jacob Eason. And I really want to be. I really, uh, I, I so badly want Jacob Eason to be awesome. I, in fact, before the year, I predicted he would be incredible. And he hasn't been so far. He's been disappointing, you know, in my opinion. Um, you know, I acknowledge that his arm is incredible. And everybody talks about Jacob Eason's arm strength. He's got the best arm in college football. Yeah, he does. His arm is unbelievable. He's very accurate. He can throw like a million miles an hour, really, really far. 
Congratulations. The dude can sling the rock. However, if you've watched the last couple of games for Washington, <laughs> if you go back and watch Utah versus UW last weekend, Jacob Eason <laughs> made some really boneheaded throws, and he has all year. Repeatedly this year, when I watch Jacob Eason, I go, that's a bad, what are you doing? That's a really, that's a bad decision. That's a bad decision. That's a bad, why would you throw there? What are you doing? Over and over again, I go, man, what is Jacob Eason doing? And I, you know, my whole philosophy here is, you know, why is Jacob Eason forcing the ball into covers? Why is he forcing the ball to throws and throwing the ball to places where it's not, and he's, they're not open. And in my opinion, I don't think that Jacob Eason is ready for the NFL. He's a junior. I think he should stay in college. Um, you know, I, I'm from Washington. I grew up in Washington. I grew up in Portland, moved to Washington. But I, I've been in the state of Washington training with quarterbacks and around the quarterback scene in the Northwest for a long time. And I know people in the building at the University of Washington. And um, the people that I know say that he hasn't mastered the playbook. And it shows. It, it shows on Saturdays. Jacob Easton is not on top of things. And some of his teammates question his work ethic. You, you never want to hear that about a quarterback. And here's what's most telling. Here's an example of this that they're frustrated with that I noticed is that Jacob Eason transferred into Washington, which meant that he had to take an entire year off where he couldn't play on Saturdays. All he could do was practice with the team. He had a red shirt. <laughs> and as a, as a player, it's kind of exciting because you have a year where you can't play. So you have a year just to prove to work out, to get stronger, to get better, and to really understand the playbook. So he had to sit out for an entire year and practice with the team. And it's weird to me that Jacob Eason was there for an entire year and he didn't master Washington's offense. <laughs> Hello? You know, when Baker Mayfield transferred from Texas Tech to Oklahoma, he missed a year. I had to sit out a year. All, all Baker could do is practice with Oklahoma. And he used the year to learn and master the offense. When we saw Baker Mayfield after that year off, oh, dude, he was electric. He was on top of things. He knew exactly where to go with the ball. He made great decisions. Jacob Eason didn't bring that same intensity to this. Jacob Eason has this incredible arm that everyone loves that I go, I can acknowledge. You watch show me go, dude, that ball comes out differently. The way Jacob Eason throws the ball, unbelievable. Now, I, don't, I, I really don't want you to read into this, but I just thought of this. <laughs> Jamarcus Russell has the most incredible arm anyone's ever seen. On his knees, he can throw the ball like 85 yards and hit the goalpost. You're like, Jesus. Having an incredible arm doesn't matter if you don't do the work behind the scenes. There are really brilliant moments when you watch Jacob Easton. You go, wow. But I think he's always gotten away with things in his career because he's had that incredible arm. Uh, you know, <laughs> Jacob Eason hasn't needed intense preparation because he's always been so physically gifted, he can get away with it. He doesn't need it. But number two, you know, Joe Burrow, the quarterback at LSU, has really benefited from not having the strongest arm in college football because it's forced him to have really good timing. Joe Burrow has great footwork and great timing because he needs to in order to succeed. Jacob Eason doesn't. Jacob Eason can be a hair late on a throw, 
And the college level still forced it in there because his, his arm is so strong, he can throw the ball fast enough to get it in there. At the NFL level, it won't be the same deal for Jacob Beeson. Maybe sometimes. Matthew Stafford does it sometimes. But Jacob Beeson, you know, this is a... I don't, I don't like this. I'm going to compare. And Jacob Beeson reminds me a lot of Josh Allen and even Deshaun Kaiser, quarterback a couple years ago from Notre Dame. And it's not fair because, you know, Jacob Eason is far, far more accurate than Josh Allen was. But all these NFL scouts loved, loved Josh Allen's arm and ignored his other issues. They ignored the fact that he struggled to read defenses. They ignored the fact that he wasn't very polished. You know, coaches in the NFL look at guys like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in college and go, man, I can fix that kid. I can, that kid's so talented, get him in my system, I can do great with him. But it's not just the coach. The, co- the coach can't decide to do the work for the player. I, I really believe it's largely on a player. If they want to succeed, they have to do the work and be coachable enough and do the work to get better. So far, I'm not impressed with Jacob Eason's work ethic. I really hope he stays in college. Um, you know, he, he could go to the NFL right now, probably be a first-round pick. Jacob Eason could. He's that talented. Go to the NFL, get really rich, have a good life, be phenomenal. But I think if Jacob Eason wants to have a longer NFL career, I think staying in college and, and improving as a quarterback would really, really help his chances of having a longer NFL career. The biggest question with Jacob Eason, and I hate doing this, it's kind of a, it's, it is personal, right? This is a, this, if someone questions my work ethic, that's personal. And I understand the implications of what I'm saying. But what I see on Saturdays is a guy who's not prepared and hasn't mastered his offense and had a year to do it and didn't. And I look, that's brutal. But I'm just being honest. That's what I see. Jacob Eason had a whole year and still looks unprepared at times this year. What does that say about Jacob Eason? What does that say about his work ethic? Is it there? That's the biggest question. I hope, I really hope he succeeds. He's so talented. He could be a great NFL quarterback. Um, seems like a nice guy, too. Like The people I know that know him say he's, he's a nice guy. But I hope he comes back to college and does the work to really elevate his game because the talent is there. The decision-making from Jacob Eason is not, and that's frustrating and disappointing to watch uh, as someone who evaluates quarterbacks and, and loves quarterbacks and loves the position. It's a shame to see Jacob Eason not be better and not be as polished as I think he should be, as I think, as I think he could be. I want Jacob Eason to be better, and I hope he does the work to do that. Okay, uh... Man, I'm so excited for this offseason. I don't think people understand. I uh, I don't think people realize how much... I just don't think people realize... I don't think people realize how much quarterback movement is coming ahead this offseason. It's going to be unbelievable. Uh, there are going to be, you know... <laughs> this NFL offseason coming up is just going to be nuts. There's going to be at least eight NFL quarterbacks. I think at least eight. On the move, going somewhere else, going to a new place. Could be more. You know, Cam Newton, Marcus Mariota, maybe Tom Brady, maybe Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton got benched 
Nick Foles, the Jags have Gardner Minshew. They'll probably get rid of Nick Foles, put him somewhere else. Josh Rosen, he's with the Dolphins. They might draft a quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater is going to get rich and make a lot of money somewhere. The Bears might get rid of Mitchell Trubisky. The Saints are likely going to need a quarterback to succeed Drew Brees. The Chargers are going to need a guy after Phillip Rivers. They might move off of Phillip Rivers this offseason. The Dolphins, the Bengals. Plus, there's a solid draft class coming up. You know, There's just a plethora of quarterbacks available. And there's some teams who need them. And there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a quarterback carousel like we've never seen before this offseason. I am so, so excited. It's going to be so much fun. You know, in the draft, there's Justin Herbert at Oregon. There's Joe Burrow from LSU. There's Tua at uh, Alabama. There's Jordan Love at Utah State. There's Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. And then maybe Jacob Eason from the University of Washington. I really hope people understand how much fun and how much intrigue and how good the stories are going to be. It's going to be an insane, crazy free agency full of trades. The NFL draft is going to be really fun. Maybe some retirements with Eli Manning, maybe Phillip Rivers. Um, the quarterback movement we're going to see this offseason coming up in the NFL offseason is going to be unbelievable. And uh, I really think we're, we're, we're on the brink of having the craziest offseason we've seen in the NFL in a long, long time. I'm calling my shot right now. It's going to be fun. It's going to be wild. I can't wait for it. It's going to make a lot of great content for my show. And uh, I just, uh, I look ahead. I'm, I'm weather forecasting right now. It's going to be so much fun. It just is going to be awesome. Okay, one more thing. Uh, we have all these young quarterbacks right now in the NFL. We have Baker Mayfield. He's struggling. Sam Darnold. He's struggling. Uh, both at, you know, Baker and Sam are at bad organizations. Josh Allen is making boneheaded throws and bad decisions and bad interceptions. He's throwing. Josh Rosen, you know, he's not even playing. His timeline's all jacked up. All those guys, Baker, Sam, Josh, and Josh, they're all in their second year. Uh, the only second-year quarterback that's really doing that well is Lamar Jackson's playing incredibly. He's got a great organization behind him and an offense built around him. Lamar Jackson looks phenomenal. He's playing well. He's winning. And then you have these rookie quarterbacks. Kyler Murray is the guy I think is the best right now. Uh, go watch my film analysis of Kyler Murray. I made it for him about the, before the draft happened. Um, everything I said in that draft analysis video is exactly what's happened for Kyler's career. He's got an incredible arm. He runs really well. He slides. He doesn't get hit. He's just a phenomenal athlete doing a great job. I think, you know, Kyler Murray's fantastic. But the other rookie quarterbacks have not been as great. <laughs> you know, you have Dwayne Haskins, who got drafted to the Redskins and just has been, uh, I feel bad for him, man. He's getting screwed. He played a little bit this year, played pretty bad. And then you have the guys like, you know, Daniel Jones, the Giants quarterback, who has had good moments, but he's made mistakes, and there are just good moments and bad moments. And uh, I think you got to just be patient with all the second-year quarterbacks, all the rookie quarterbacks. you got to just be patient and allow them to develop. Now, some people are confused when I say that. People will comment things like, how can you be critical of Mitchell Trubisky but say that we should be patient with Sam Darnold or Dwayne Haskins. You're patient with one group, but not the other. Here's my answer. It's very simple to me. Uh, the Bears quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, is in year three, his third season as an NFL starter. 
In year three, it's time to start seeing progress. Now, I will acknowledge that Josh Rosen has a different timeline. Uh, I'm going to add a year for Josh Rosen. He got screwed really bad. Two awful teams in a row. Isn't playing right now. It's a mess. I feel bad for Josh Rosen. I'll add a, uh, year four is when he, we can really judge Josh Rosen because of the turmoil he's been through. But Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, they're all going into year three next year. And uh, you know, week eight, by week eight next year, we had better see progress from Baker, Sam, and Josh. We're in year three with Mitchell Trubisky. We're partway through year three. And he's still making rookie mistakes. He's missing wide open throws. He's throwing ugly interceptions. He's inaccurate. He looks unconfident. It's really, really bad. It's, it's gotten, it's the worst it's probably been in a long time with Mitchell Trubisky. And by year three, those mistakes, those rookie mistakes and bad interceptions and bad incompletions, they got to go away. I will give all quarterbacks until halfway through year three. Right around the midpoint of their third season is when we can start being hypercritical and raise the expectations. I look at it as year one and two is the grace period in the NFL. We'll be forgiving. You're young. You're learning. You're overcoming things. You're still figuring things out. And I feel bad for Baker and Sam, especially because they're at bad organizations who I think, man, are just, uh, you know, <laughs> someone commented like, SOS because the ship is sinking. That's the Jets and the, the Browns right now, SOS. They, they, their ship is sinking and it's bad. They are a sinking ship in Cleveland and New York. And it's sad because I think they're both guys who can play well, but their bad organizations are holding them back. However, let me tell you, week eight, Year three, next year, around week eight, the middle of the season, that's when the grace period ends for Sam Darnold and ends for Baker Mayfield and ends for Josh Allen. In the middle of year three, I have no problem being hard on a guy. I did it to Mitchell Trubisky. I'll do it to Sam Darnold if he's bad next year in the middle of the year. I'll do it to Baker Mayfield if he's bad in the middle of the year. I'll do it to Josh Allen. I don't care. By middle of year three, you got to start having things figured out. You got to show progress. Mitchell Trubisky has them. I'm being as fair as I can. That's my rule. It's the middle of year three. You elevate expectations. You're no longer a young quarterback. You still are, but I'm going to judge you <laughs> as a quarterback who's been in the league for three years because that's what they have been. That's why I can be critical of Mitchell Trubisky and look at Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and Dwayne Haskins and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. Give them time. I give you a two, a two-year and six-game grace period. After that, Mid of the, middle of the year, year three, I'm going to leave that ambiguous because you know, middle of the year could be week six, could be week 10, right? somewhere in there. But middle of the year, week three is when you got to go, are we seeing progress or, or is this guy just not getting better? And is he still bad? Mitchell Drabisky is still bad. That's why I can criticize him. In middle of year three, it's not great. Sam Darnold, middle of year three, he'd better look better than he does now. He'd better show progress because if he doesn't, I'll be hard on him too. Uh, and not blaming, just saying, look, it's not working. I don't, I don't, it's not working with Mitchell Trubisky, right? It's, there's one way to tone that and to phrase that. You can say, you know, next year, if Sam Darnold's bad year three, you can say, you can either be hypercritical of Sam and say Sam's awful, or you can go, for whatever reason, I think it's coaching, it's not working with Sam Darnold. All right, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach. It's a good episode today. I'm really excited. Uh... That's it. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back.
All right, we are back. It's time for Ask Zach. Ask Zach is the way I end every single one of my podcasts. Uh, it's a segment where people who support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. You can give more if you want. Uh, man, it really helps me. It literally pays my rent. Um, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions to me on Patreon. I only accept questions through Patreon. You can send it to me through Patreon DM. You can post a, a you can put a comment below a post on Patreon. I'll read the questions there. Um, if you submit a question, I will not guarantee to answer your question on the show. But I do guarantee if you submit a question on Patreon, I will read it with my own eyeballs. I look at every one of them, and then I pick the top couple at the end of every episode um, and talk about them on the show and read and discuss them. So I want to start with a question from Aiden. Aiden writes in, he says, hey, Zach, not really an analytics question, but who's your favorite NFL team? Maybe you haven't mentioned this before, and I am just too new and haven't come across that video yet. Or maybe you keep, a, keep it a secret on purpose. I haven't heard anything about your favorite sports team so far. Love your stuff, man. Thank you. Uh, let me be very, very, very clear. I have mentioned this before. I don't, I don't blame you. I just want to be very clear because I, I want to make this into a breakout and tell people. I do not have a favorite team. I do not have a favorite team. I do not have a favorite team. Uh, everyone asks this question. A lot of people accuse me of being, I mean, literally insert any team. They're all, you're a fan of this team and this team. I don't have a favorite team. I'm, I'm not burdened by that. It feels great to not have a favorite team. I'm a freelance. Um, I love stories. You know, I, I love following the entire league. I love following the NBA. I love following the NFL. I love following college football. Um, and I root for good stories. I root for people I like. Uh, the biggest example of this right now is Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is a great story. He's a great guy. I've met him. I shook his hand once. He's an awesome dude. How can you not love Gardner Minshew? And so uh, I love good stories. I love following them. That's what I enjoy. I love telling stories. And that's the, the thing about football I love. Um, and then I love the nerdy nuances of the game. I uh, I love breaking down film. I'm a nerd. I like answering questions. I'm curious, why did Andy Dalton get benched? I'm going to go watch every snap of Andy Dalton this year. It makes me want to blow my brains out. But hey, I, despite the fact he's a bad quarterback, I enjoy learning. Why did Andy Dalton fail? Why did Marcus Mariota fail? It's interesting to me. And so uh, my passion is storytelling. And the vehicle, the stories I chose to tell when I made up this podcast was I want to talk about sports. Because I love football. I'm a fan of football. I'm a fan of sports. I love watching sports. It makes me very happy. It brings me a bunch of joy. But I'm not a fan of any single team. Um, I, I know that blows people's minds. I think some people, like, they're, they're so into their team, they can't imagine not having one. I get it. Um, I just choose not to. I will acknowledge I used to be a Seattle Mariners fan when I was, like, 13 years old. And I got so frustrated with that organization. They kept trading away good players. The thing that the straw that broke the camel's back for me was when the Mariners traded away Adam Jones, a really good prospect, the guy I was so excited to watch. They traded away Adam Jones for a pitcher named Eric Bedard, and Adam Jones went on to be this incredible, like incredible all-star. And I was like, I'm so sick of this team trading away good people that become all-stars with other teams. And I, I, I'm, I'm giving my time and energy to this thing, the Seattle Mariners, a team that I have zero control over. I said, never again. And so I just decided from that day on, not a fan of a team. I don't have a favorite team. I am very happily not a fan of a team. It's, it's very freeing. 
I can watch whatever games I want on Sundays and Saturdays. I can do whatever I want. I feel so bad for Redskins fans. Can you imagine being a Washington Redskins fan right now where <laughs> you're, you're a fan of this miserable organization who cannot run things well to save their lives, and then <laughs> you have no control. You have no control as a fan over your organization. I decided when I was 13 years old, I'm not giving any money, time, energy, nothing to the Seattle Mariners, and uh, I, don't, I do not have a favorite team at all. Uh, I think the closest thing I get to having a favorite team is I really like the Eastern Washington football team. I, if I ever finish my degree, I'll finish it through Eastern Washington online. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the closest thing I really, truly come to be, being a fan of a certain team is the Portland Pickles, like a wood bat baseball team. It's like college kids playing baseball. They sell good margaritas. I go with my girlfriend and watch football, uh, baseball there. I hope I said baseball earlier. It's a baseball team. Little tiny, like not, it's below single A baseball, but it's really fun. Uh, there are Portland Pickles. They have Dylan the Pickle as their mascot. It's this horrifying looking mascot. I love the Portland Pickles. That's fun. But uh, I, I don't have a favorite team. I truly try to be non biased on the show. It really helps that I don't have a favorite team. And I'm not emotionally invested in any professional sports team. I, just, I don't have a favorite one. I'm very happy that way. I don't want a favorite team. I, I just don't, I, I don't like that at all. Um, I got burned out when I was 13 years old by the Seattle Mariners and said, never again. So I don't have a favorite team at all. Um, it kind of, it kind of, it's funny to me when people accuse me, they're like, dude, just admit you're a Cowboys fan or just admit you're a Browns fan or just, and like, just admit you're an Eagles fan. Just admit, it's like, I can't admit I'm a fan of every team. If you read the comments over the years, it's like, everybody thinks I'm a fan of certain teams. I just, like, I, I, I just love the game. I don't have a favorite team, uh, and I just wanted to put that out there. I do not have a favorite team. No matter what you say, you can believe whatever you want. I'm not hiding anything. <laughs> I don't understand fandom. I don't understand having a favorite team and investing yourself emotionally in this thing you can't control. Um, it just sounds infuriating to me. So I don't have a favorite team in the slightest. If you do, I'm happy for you. That's just not how I roll. doesn't sound fun to me. That sounds very exhausting and disappointing. <laughs> Lenny writes in. Lenny says, hey, Zach, we know that you don't look at stats too much, but I wanted to know what you'd go for in a player if you were a general manager or a head coach. Many would just go for the best player statistically, but do you think that any good player could make it on any team, or would you put mental ability and toughness over their skill? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, he says, and thank you for the great work you do. I'm so happy that I can support you. I wish I could just buy you lunch once a month and talk sports with you, but I'm happy just to be part of this community. Keep up the good work. Greetings from Denmark. Hey, Lenny, if I'm ever in Denmark, let's get lunch. That'd be really fun. I would love that. Um, yeah, that would be really cool, Lenny. I'd love to get lunch with you someday if that's ever possible. Um, man, what's what's the most valuable thing to me? Uh, I I think definitely the way – what you said at the end – what did you say at the end of that question? You said um, – is mental toughness and ability is mental ability and toughness more important than skill? Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. I'll take a guy who's less talented, who works hard, and is in the right spot any day. Why is Julian Edelman such a good wide receiver? He works hard. He's bought in. The guy played quarterback in college. Julian Edelman was a quarterback in college who turned himself into a good receiver with hard work. That's awesome. Antonio Gates played basketball in college. Antonio Gates made himself into a legendary tight end because he did the work. 
Tom Brady. Tom Brady's not the most physically gifted quarterback of all time, not even close. But Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time because he does the work. It's his heart. It's inside. The things that drive Tom Brady are what make him special. Drew Brees is another example. Drew Brees, what makes Drew Brees so good? It's who he is. It's not his physical ability. He's a tiny, short quarterback with an average arm. You know, right now, everyone is in love with this quarterback, Jacob Easton from University of Washington. Uh, He's got this huge arm. But he makes really bad mistakes with those terrible interceptions. And I go, I, I can't right now buy into Jacob Easton because what I see on film is a lot of ugly, a lot of bad. I, I question his work ethic. The story behind Jacob Easton is he transferred into Washington, he had an entire year off to prepare, and he's not prepared. He didn't do the work. It's really frustrating as a guy who I thought Jacob Easton was going to be phenomenal. Isn't. It's, it's a lesson in how valuable and important Work ethic is. Joe Burrow is the quarterback at LSU. Joe Burrow is not the most physically gifted quarterback in the world. But Joe Burrow has done so much work behind the scenes to make himself a better player. Better mechanics leading to stronger, leading to a stronger arm. Better footwork making him more accurate. He mastered the offense. He clearly studied a ton in the offseason. So to me, obviously, yeah. Mental ability and being in the right spot, I, would take, I don't care how physically talented you are. There are so many stories about people who were physically talented that have failed in sports, especially at the NFL, especially the NFL. I don't care how physically talented you are. <laughs> a lot of guys are physically talented. And yeah, I'll be honest, you, of course you want a guy. Like, if you can, the dream is to get an incredibly physically gifted guy who also works hard. A, a guy that comes to mind for me, Julio Jones is so underappreciated. He's incredibly physically talented. He's unbelievable. And Julio Jones has a good attitude. He works hard. He shows up. He does the little things right. But not everybody's like that. It's rare to find a guy who does both. And if I was a general manager or a coach... If I was scouting players and recruiting guys, I'd say, let's get lunch. I want to talk about life. What, if, what, what hard moments have you been through? What drives you? Why do you fight hard? Why do you want to be a part of this team? What are you going to bring to our team? You can, you can tell in a conversation what motivates a person. I don't care about stats. I don't care about height and weight. I, I don't care about that stuff. Because it's as, as sexy and appealing as it is to have a six foot six wide receiver who can jump out of the building. If that six foot six wide receiver doesn't do any work and doesn't work hard, eh, don't want him. He's going to line up wrong. He's going to run the wrong route. It, it, you can't work with that. I want guys, if I was a general manager or head coach, I'll take a guy who's less talented, who buys in, who's incredibly coachable and works hard. That's what I want. That's the people I would want to work with. It's really any aspect of life. You want to work with people who... I don't care how physically talented you are. It's the people who work hard. I'll tell a story real quick. I know I'm rambling on now about this segment. I know a girl who, um, in college, we, we went out for a little while together. Uh, she was a, what do you call it? She made drones for NASA. No joke. As a senior in college, 22 years old, was making drones for NASA as her side job in college. Girl was valedictorian at her college, top of her class in the engineering school. She made an iron lung for Stanford, and her options were after college to go work for NASA or to go to Stanford for grad school. 
This is an incredibly accomplished person. And I one time, we, we, we went out for a little while. I asked her, what is the secret? Why are you so good at what you do? And she said, Zach, there are people in my program who are far more talented than me. They do the math faster in their head. They, they get it better. It's quicker for them. But the reason why I'm better than them and I succeed over them, she wasn't bragging. She was being honest. I really respected the way she talked about it. She went into work. Like she would leave. She lived in Vancouver, went to school in, in Portland. And she would leave at 5 in the morning, get there at 5.30, and then wouldn't leave campus from 5.30 in the morning until 7.30 p.m. All day, homework, studying, preparing, doing the work. She worked so hard, incredibly hard, way harder than all those other kids. And she became the valedictorian top of her class because instead of, instead of just relying on her physical talent, being the smartest, being the quickest to understand the math, whatever it is, it was her work ethic that took her farther. Work ethic and understanding how to do it. And I care way more about that than I do about your physical gifts or your physical talent. Natural ability is great, but if you don't work hard, it doesn't matter. There's my long, long rant, Lenny, about uh, why I think physical talent is really overrated. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll tell another story, actually, if I can. Uh, I was once at a college playing quarterback, <laughs> and uh, a coach picked a guy who could throw the ball a little bit farther because he felt better about his deep ball. And then that quarterback who had a great deep ball and was physically talented had a horrible season and did really, really badly. And the coach was all in love with, he can throw the ball far, and that's why I'm jaded to guys who are really physically talented because that doesn't matter. I've been on the other side. I've lost because I wasn't the physically talented guy. And the coach picked the talented guy. And the talented guy didn't work hard, was a bad leader, and sucked. And the team lost a lot, and it was miserable. Being behind a quarterback who's terrible, who is just in front of you for solely the reason because he can throw the ball 75 yards is really, really frustrating. And, uh, and by the way, it was, it was like 60 yards. It wasn't 75. It was like, it was like this, why are you so in love with this guy's deep ball? Um, that's, why, that's where I come from, my background. I've been on the other side of that. I'm rambling now. It doesn't matter. Uh, ben wrote in. Ben said, NBA-related question here. What do, you, what do you think of the Warriors potentially tanking now that they are without the Splash Brothers for a considerable portion of the season? Uh, so in case you don't know, Steph Curry has a broken hand, and Clay Thompson for the Golden State Warriors has a torn ACL. And in my opinion, this could be a blessing in disguise if... They can suck well enough to get into the top 10 of the NBA drafts. I don't think they can. Uh, I hope that the, the Warriors tank. Uh, my fear is that either the Warriors win too many games because of D'Angelo Russell or that the Warriors lose a ton of games and then Draymond Green goes ballistic and gets really mad and has a problem there. Um, it's really difficult to tank when you're a team that's been so successful for so long and you have the remnants of a good roster left there. Uh just because you lost Steph Curry, your team is still capable. Still have Draymond Green, still have D'Angelo Russell. I think the best case scenario is that the Warriors have like the 15th overall pick in the NBA draft coming up. Um, and, you know, Steph Curry is said to be out for three months. That's November, December, January. That means he'd be back in February. So he'd be back with time left in the year. Um, now, if the Warriors do commit to tanking, what they got to do is say, we're shutting down Steph Curry for the year. We're going to reset, reboot, will be better next year. Um, 
I, I don't I feel really weird about the Warriors because they're not gonna make the playoffs, but they're good enough that they might not be a top ten pick. So they're they're actually in really a bad limbo spot. If they can tank, which I think they should, um, and get a top ten pick, maybe a top five pick, that'd be unbelievable for the Warriors. I just don't think they're that bad where they can make that happen. So um the Warriors are in an ugly spot and I don't know that they can tank because I think it might be slightly too good unless they shut down Steph Curry. Maybe D'Angelo Russell tweaks his ankle and they take him out for the year. Um, but it's they're in a difficult spot and a difficult situation uh, in the Bay Area with Golden State Warriors. Seb writes in. Seb says, if you had the power to take one quarterback from a team and put them on another team, who would you choose going to where? I'd love to see Stafford on another team, but that could maximize his potential. How about you? What do you think? Man, get Sam Darnold out of New York, for God's sake, please. Uh, Sam Darnold is in real danger of becoming Carson Palmer. It's like, it's a mess. Uh, Carson Palmer was an incredibly gifted quarterback. Ironically, Sam and Carson both went to USC too. That's a, it's actually even funny. I didn't mean for that to happen. That's pretty funny. Um, Carson Palmer got stuck in Cincinnati. It's a really bad organization that held him back. And if you notice, you know, went to the Bengals, wasn't ever great. Went to the Raiders, wasn't ever great. The minute Carson Palmer had good coaching in Arizona and good stable ownership in Arizona, bam. Carson Palmer, phenomenal. Off the charts, really good quarterback. It's a lesson in how important having a good organization is. I, I really hope things change in New York. Uh, right now, they are a... Man, they are a ship sinking. They need to send up an SOS. They are a ship sinking of a franchise. Uh, and I feel bad for them. Adam Gase is failing. I was really wrong about Adam Gase. It just It's not working in New York with Adam Gase. Um, and I think Sam can really play. I met him in high school at camps growing up. Um, but man, the Jets organization could just ruin Sam Darnold's entire career. Bad coaching, awful management, terrible ownership. Um... I think really the best hope for Sam Darnold, because the Jets aren't going to let him go unless he's bad enough. Maybe a Mariota situation could happen. He gets benched and traded, which could be the biggest blessing in disguise ever for Sam Darnold, um, is maybe Gary Vaynerchuk buys the Jets. And then then the Jets will finally have good ownership that lets the Jets be better. Um, But until the Jets get better ownership or something changes in New York, um, I just feel bad for Sam. I want to get Sam out of there. Sam Darnold's in a bad spot. Baker Mayfield's in a bad spot. But Sam Darnold's the guy I'm, I'm really most excited about um and i really wish he would could get out of new york and have a better organization behind him um minnesota the patriots uh the steelers the literally any the saints i just want sam darnold to be somewhere where he's in a position to succeed because he's not got terrible ownership and management all around him and the way that the jets have handled sam darnold has been so bad and so if i had the power to move any quarterback i would move sam darnold away from the Jets, literally anywhere else. Please, dear God. Um, The next guy who writes in is Jackson. Jackson writes in and says, what would you call momentum in football? I'm not too big into fantasy football, but I do like looking at betting odds. So far in the past four weeks, more teams that were placed as favorites expected to win by an X amount have either not won by that amount expected or even lost the game altogether. On paper, it makes no sense, but watching the actual football game, momentum seems to be a big factor. The emotions, the turnover they needed. What would you call this X factor? 
Example, betting odds on the 49ers cards was minus 10 and a half. I don't know what that means, but hey, betting stuff is cool. Uh, I guess I don't bet at all, but isn't that bad? I, I should know what under minus one and 10 and a half and all this stuff is. I don't I have no idea what it means, but whatever. Um, I just don't bet. I don't, I don't have money to bet. I don't care about gambling. Anyways, which means that the 49ers were expected to win. <laughs> of course, he explains it. I'm so dumb. Which means that the 49ers were expected to win by more than 10 points. Yet Murray played insane and only lost by three. Ah, so the, the Cardinals, were they, they lost by less than they should have. That's, that makes sense. Um, I think a great example of momentum, Jackson, is USC and Oregon last weekend. Um, USC scored a touchdown with 17 seconds left before halftime. And they were closing in on a score. You know, USC was down now 17 to 21. Now, Oregon led, but they're in a good position where USC is like, we're back. We're in the game. We're going into halftime. We're, we're down four points. There were, the USC was feeling like they were in a great spot. And then USC kicked the ball deep, and Oregon returned it for a touchdown. And suddenly, just like that, Oregon led 28-17 going into halftime. That's like a punch in the gut. That's so demoralizing for USC's team, the players in USC, where they're like, we were so close, and we just got knocked back down. Um, and that's part of why I love the NFL. You know, there, There's fewer mismatches in the NFL. When Alabama plays almost any team, it's a mismatch, right? And no matter what momentum swings happen, Lafayette, Louisiana Lafayette's not going to beat Alabama. But in the NFL, even an undefeated team versus an, a bad team, it's still far less lopsided talent-wise. Everybody can play. Everybody's good enough. And so momentum plays a way bigger part where uh, a big play, you catch a break, uh, things that give you hope you can win, that's what momentum is. And that's what happens there is you get a surge of energy. Oh, we block better because we believe we have a chance here. Um, you know, it's, and what's really cool to me is when a player can overcome a negative momentum shift away from them, like a momentum swings away. So when the Jaguars played the Broncos earlier this year, things were going really bad for Gardner Minshew, like horribly. And yet he kept fighting and still rallied his team at the very end. And Gardner Minshew ended up winning the game, even though things went badly for a long time in the first half of that game. It's seeing guys who can overcome bad momentum shifts that don't go in their favor. That's what I love. But momentum is just a, a moment that happens in a game that gives you hope and continues your fighting, and you go, oh, we got this, we can do this, and the team rallies around that moment. That's what momentum is, uh, in football especially. Okay, Devin writes in, this is Devin with an A. Devin writes in and says, hey, Zach, I've noticed you love video games. You've made analogies with Darksiders and Zelda. That's an example memorable to most recent viewers. Have you ever played a video game that imparted valuable life lessons or helped you mold as a person? If so, what game and how did it influence you? As for me, the Dark Souls series affected me the most. It imparted the lesson that no matter what obstacle stands in your way, you can always overcome it with perseverance. Never give up and always get back up. I know this isn't sports related, but I thought you'd enjoy answering regardless. Absolutely. Uh, this question is one of my favorites of the day. It was this one and uh, the favorite team's question. I was like, oh, I can't wait to answer these. Um, there are two things in my life that have bad reputations to most people. Like parents don't like these two things, seemingly, when I was a kid. Um, not my parents, maybe a little bit. But that there, there's like a negative stereotype about these two things. But they really helped me grow as a person. It's skateboarding and video games are the two things in my life where I'm like, 
I know people don't love skateboarding and there's a negative connotation with skateboarding. I know a lot of people think video games are bad. Um, but like, first of all, the stereotype that skateboarders are lazy is so, so stupid and not well thought out. Uh, try learning a kickflip. Just try. Try riding a skateboard and then tell me that <laughs> skateboarders are lazy. It took me hours and hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of trying to flip the stupid skateboard over and over again before I finally learned how to do a kickflip. It took me forever. But when I got it, it was this incredible triumphant moment I was so excited about. I'm sure that's how you felt when, you play, when, when Devin played Dark Souls, an incredibly tough video game that takes a lot of time to progress. I'm sure when he, when he got through a, a past a spot in progression in Dark Souls, he was so proud. Like, oh, I fought hard for that. There are all kinds of lessons of perseverance you can learn in video games. Um, now, I, I connect with stories. My favorite games of all time are Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, Uncharted, Jack and Daxter. There's a cool platformer. I'm going to give it a shout-out because no one really knows about it. I didn't until a while ago. It's called A Hat in Time. It's the best 3D platformer I've ever played in my life. It's phenomenal. Um, you know, Uncharted is my favorite game series ever. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, I mentioned it, but that's, that's my favorite game of all time. I love it. And for me... Um, the lesson I've learned, I, there's all kinds of good stories in video games, right? Uh, in The Last of Us, Ellie was uh, gay. And it was, like, it was a good moment where like, I, I, I connected for the first time with a character. I was like, oh, there's this character I love who's gay. That's really cool. Um, but video games have helped me learn how to rest. I'm a big introvert. I know that people don't believe that. Uh, I hate large crowds. I don't like parties. I don't like drinking. I'm a weird nerd who likes solitude, literally. I, I am. And I, I've heard, I've had to learn how to own that. I'm just a weird, nerdy dude who's quiet and likes to be at my house. Uh, I don't want to go out. I don't want to, I, I just like to be home. Um, and accepting that was really hard. And uh, once I did accept that it's okay for me to want to stay home and stay in my apartment and just be where I am and not go out, um, it felt really freeing. And so games have helped me learn how to rest and relax and have alone and downtime having alone time is so important um and that's what games are for me i don't play online i don't play with people it's my time to myself and i love it because i like if, you, if you're gonna rest i can't just take a nap i'm too like ah, i'm like go 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 i need to do stuff and i have energy and i always am going all the time um so having a game in my hand having a controller playing video games when i sit down and take a break i feel like i'm doing something and accomplishing something i feel good about it but it's not a waste. Like it's it's not a, it's not what is the word? It's restful to me, and it's it's wonderfully fulfilling and enriching of my time and my energy. Um, and you know, someday when I get better computer equipment, I would love to. Now I finish a video game about every four months, is because it takes me so long to play through games because I'm so slow. But it'd be cool to like when I played through The Last of Us Two, make a video about how was The Last of Us Two? Did I like it? Here's why. Just do like a film analysis video of The Last of Us. That'd be really fun. Or like Jedi Fallen Order is a game coming out. I'm like, I'm so excited to play that someday. And doing a film analysis of Jedi Fallen Order would be incredible. It would be awesome. And so for me, you know, football, movies, and video games are my favorite things in the entire world. My three favorite things in the world that I just love so much. I love them a ton. Um, and uh, the thing that games did for me is they really helped me learn how to take a break. How to rest. How to, you know, last night I slept for two and a half hours. I feel miserable I know that when I feel like I'm having a bad episode, it's not really true. It's just because I'm tired. And my voice, I have a hard time talking when I'm tired because you're just your whole body's exhausted. Uh, I work all the time. 
I do. I'm proud of the work I do. I, I love I love what we're we building with Strong Opinion Sports. Um, but a game's helped me get away, and video games have helped me learn how to take a break. So I'm a big fan of video games. I don't talk about them very often. Uh, but yeah, I, I love them, and I really appreciated that question because that's the lesson I learned from video games is it's okay to take a break, and they've helped me along the way of taking a break and stepping away sometimes and having downtime and having alone time. Okay, uh, the final thing is from Haley. Haley writes in, she says, Hey, Zach, I've been following SOS for quite a while, and your content is just getting better and better. I can't wait to see the future of the show as more and more people discover you. I'm from Sydney, Australia, and I'm a huge Chicago Bulls and Saints fan. As a kid born in 1990, the main NBA franchise influence here were the Bulls, the Hornets, and Orlando Magic. I played basketball my whole youth and immediately launched onto the Bulls, latched onto the Bulls, and never stopped loving them, even though they've been trashed for ages now, lol. As for the Saints, in high school, everyone was a fan of the Kardashians, and at that time when Kim was dating Reggie Bush. At that time, Kim Kardashian was dating Reggie Bush. Whilst everyone was frothing over the Kardashians, I was more interested in Reggie and began to follow his NFL rookie year. So that's how I became a Saints fan. Not too amazing, but shout out to Kim K. He will always be my favorite NFL player because he was, because he was a real introduction to the sport and to the Saints. Hashtag who dat? Uh, <laughs> I love this part from Haley. Haley says, I love the heaps of questions I'll be sure to ask. Uh, I'll be sure to ask over the next Ask Zach's. But I just wanted to take the opportunity to say thank you for creating such an inclusive area for sports fans. Being a female and part of the LGBT community, sports can sometimes be really toxic for my mental health. Often casual homophobia, sexism, transphobia, etc. flourish in sports communities, which can lead for fans like myself to feel ostracized from enjoying something we absolutely love. SOS is a such a positive show with a really positive community that you've cultivated. So I really want to take the opportunity to thank you and all the other fans, you guys listening, for making this my favorite online sports community. Good luck with everything. Thanks for reading this with your eyeballs. <laughs> and good luck. And look forward to more and more episodes and the merch. She knows the secret. I'm so excited. Ah! We have merch coming. I just can't tell you officially. It'll, it's tomorrow. I'm, I don't care. I'll ruin the spoil. I'll ruin the thing. Uh, Haley says, thanks, Haley. Dude, I, I love that message from Haley so much. I'm so proud of what, everything she said because um, we have this incredible community. It's, we, Strong Opinion Sports is so cool because uh, especially all the people on Patreon, they're incredible. It's a community of people who all have a common interest, which is sports. Like, who I don't care, you know. My, my, for for you may not understand, you may not know this. My younger brother's trans. I don't care who you sleep with. I don't care the color of your skin. Uh, we're all human, and if you're human, like I, I just I just don't care about all that stuff. If you're human, I'm happy to talk to you. I, I think you matter. I, I love that. Um, and I don't care who you're sleeping with to have a conversation with you about the Chicago Bulls or the New Orleans Saints or the Atlanta Falcons or the Indianapolis Colts. Like sports are such a cool way to unite people. Uh, who cares about our differences, man? I just don't care. If you have blood pulsing through your veins, you sound like a cool person to me. And uh, man, I am just so proud of the, the the culture and the group of people we've cultivated through Patreon. And it's a cool community. And I'm, I'm so proud of Strong Opinion Sports. And I love you guys for listening, man. It means so much to me. And um, it's funny that Haley became a fan because she, she liked Reggie Bush and the Kim Kardashian letter there. I, I don't know, man. I just... Uh, I'm so overjoyed. Uh, I love doing the show. I love you guys. 
And uh, I want to end the show today with my favorite song in the world. I'm not kidding. I'm dead serious. I listen to the song every single morning. It's how I start my day. And then I listen to it on repeat for about 20 minutes because just 20, 30. It just, I, don't know, I, I love the song. So this is my favorite pump-up song in the world. It's my good friends, Ethan Day and, oh gosh, jo- Jordan Reardon. I hope it's Jordan. It might be John. John Allen. I think it's John Allen. I don't know. I know Ethan Day. Ethan's a friend of mine. I love him. Uh, and I love him and his partner. They make great music. Um, this is Almost Blonde and their single, Wasted Time. Enjoy. Follow his dreams. A young man, take your feet as I jump in the beat. So you can learn from my mistakes and cut the weight from your feet. I was once like you and you'll be just like me. Don't mistake me for somebody that you shouldn't believe. Do you remember the person that you aspired to be? Well, he packed up his bags and he's ready to leave. He's on the brink. It's time to think of what you want to achieve. Cause there's a different path for the life you need. If it was easy, everybody would have followed your lead. And you will get no respect until you start to succeed. And people still are gonna cut you just to watch you bleed. Take it from the old man who used to walk in your feet. Time.